Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to Parting the Atlantic, episode eight? I don't know. Some episode below 10 and above 5. Yeah. How are you, John? I'm chilling. How are you? I'm good. I am very tired today for some reason. Sad. Maybe I slept too much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know. Hopefully it was quality sleep at least. It was. I had a lot of different strange dreams. As per usual. Yeah. As one does. As one does. So, we read Genesis chapters 12 through 16 today. One of the things we talked about on Patreon for the month of May, I invited John onto the Patreon, and we talked about some different improvements or other changes that we can make to BTA, and one of those was reading more verses at a time. So, if we read way more verses, I think we'll probably like keep increasing the number of verses per episode, like depending on how this goes. Um, that's why is we've been crawling through Genesis, and we have a lot more to go. We're reaching the halfway point uh, with this episode, but um, yeah, that was one thing that John uh, brought up in our episode. Yeah, yeah. Kevin had a good shot here. Yeah. So we should summarize these chapters, but let's do that quickly so that we can make time for the discussion. Yeah, so it's the start of uh, Abraham's whole saga, uh, where he is called by God. He uh, you know embarks. Well, yeah, it's Abram, but it becomes Abraham. But either way, Abram is called, uh, and he and his brother Lot embark on this journey. And then... Wait, I thought it was his nephew. Is it his nephew? I think so. Why did I think it it was his brother? Because brotherhood is a big theme in the Bible, probably. Whack. And let's see, where is Lot? Yeah, it's in his nephew. Oh, well, there you go. Well, Abram and Nat try to do the whole thing together, and it doesn't work out. So they split up, go solo, and choose different lands. And then God tells Abram that Abram's descendants will be as many as the grains of sand. Um and so abram settles down uh wonders why he does not have a son and who his heir will be and then uh long story short god gives abram his first son through a concubine Um, and that's where we finished for today yeah 
I'll just add a couple of small stories onto that description, but that's the gist of these uh, five verses. Um, so when Abram and Lot first go to Canaan, they become very wealthy and prosperous. But they know that like going into this land that's controlled by Egypt and Pharaoh, um, if uh, people see Abram's wife, Sarai, then they're going to be like, oh, that's a really beautiful woman. Like, we should kill her husband and take her <laughs> as our own and, like, protect her, but not the men that are with her. And so Abram says, look, pretend to be my sister. And then Pharaoh takes her as his own wife, and God wreaks havoc on Pharaoh's house because of this, and Pharaoh banishes them. So which is the point at which, like you said, John, they go to separate lands. Um, Lot goes to a very famous biblical land called Sodom, uh, where the Sodomites live. Uh, yes, that is the same Latin root as sodomy. Um, and there's a lot of like really big economic opportunities. The land is relatively like undeveloped, even though it's a very uh, good land for agriculture. And Abram goes a separate way, but equally prosperous way. Um, and then, yeah, God makes a covenant with Abram saying, like, this land, even though your people will be enslaved for 400 years, <laughs> like, this land will be the land of your descendants eventually. And then um, Sarai and Hagar, um, her slave, uh, there's that whole journey where Sagai tells Hagar, Look, sleep with my husband. You will be the person to carry the descendants. And uh, Haggai runs away because of a lot of mistreatment and inequity um, on the part of she's the one pregnant, and yet Sarai is jealous and, you know, mistreating her. And then an angel appears uh, to Haggai and says, Look, your descendants will be incredibly numerous, uh, but also your son Ishmael is going to be uh a very petulant young man where do you want to start getting into all of this um well i think like the first thing that point like came out to me in chapter 12 was that just the level of trust that abram has in god's will um, and God's providence, um, because God says like, oh, like this land is going to be yours one day. And they just, as they go along on the route to Canaan, um, every time God indicates that this is like his land or sacred land, Abram will build an altar and worship God there. Um, so he's just kind of like following God's instructions through this whole journey, which I find is um, such an act of trust, especially since that kind of movement with all of his stuff. It seems like he's accumulated a lot and it seems like his wealth is something that's not easy to transport. Through all of that, he's trusting God and he's saying, look, no matter what God has in store for me, it's good ultimately. And I think it's really interesting that like Abram lies to the Egyptians in order to save his own life. And that brought up the question for me of like, at what, at what point is it appropriate to lie or like allowed to lie? 
Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the the age old question of of yeah, when is lying justified? But the the big explanation that I've heard for that question is to you know protect the highest moral level, you know. Um, so, like, if you want to protect the livelihood it's okay to commit a transgression of lying to protect a life. So I think whether or not lying was justified here, I guess you could argue maybe based on how you perceive the uh, morality of protecting one's relationship with their wife um, and or their own life, which I think is a good moral justification for lying. So... Uh, it's difficult um, for me in the sense, like, any, like, little lie, I just can't live with it. Like, it's just really tough for me, and I always over-explain to, I think, compensate for a lack of truth in those, in those uh, situations. It reminds me yeah. of this... Um, I was taking a philosophy class and we were talking about like the, these studies on lying and the telltale indicators of lying are this the very th same things I just mentioned, like over explaining, tripping up on your words, defensive body posture. Um, but how oftentimes these very same indicators of lying are found socioculturally within norms for young women. So a lot of um, different participants in this one study that I'm thinking of uh, had this very uh, telltale, quote unquote, way of over explaining and like you know trying to over justify circumstances which were true um and at the same time they were uh interpreted as lying even though uh they were true just because of these telltale signs so anyway i was just uh that got me down a whole rabbit hole of thought <laughs> of like yeah. not only like when is it appropriate to lie and how is it appropriate to lie but like what does it look like to lie and like what are the boundaries of of truth because like so much of lying and truth is perception you know it's not like a this is absolute truth all the time you know you can tell there are like lies of omission for example yeah i mean it, it's this is not the last time that we'll see a biblical character lying to, you know, because they don't want to be revealed as married. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it becomes quite the issue in, in the first few chapters of the Old Testament for people to lie about, you know, like, like oh, you know, we're not married, she's my sister, um, just to make sure that they're not killed for their for their relationship so i Tell guess me. old 
Old Testament authors really, really just think that that you know protecting their lives and 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 their partners' wives are are worth to lie. Yeah. Would you ever lie? Would you say that's my sister? <laughs> to me. <laughs> I mean, if, if we're stuck in Egypt and Pharaoh is is fixing to kill me, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe I'll have to call on 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 what we learned in Genesis. Okay. Do you think that would pass? Like, I don't think we look enough alike. Hey, that can work. That can work a little magic. You never know. <laughs> a little magic? What does that mean? Hire some, a makeup artist. Convincing. Okay. Interesting. I never knew you to be a smooth talker. Hey, you know, you learn something new every day. What can I say? Okay. Did anything stick out to you in these first few chapters? Um, one of the things that I was thinking about a bit is, um, especially in relation to how dedicated Abraham, Abram is to God. He's not Abraham yet. Um, a lot of, I'm sure people will be familiar with um, Soren Kierkegaard's understanding of the Night of Faith and how Abraham is such because he um places god you know trusting god above his own life when he uh comes so close to sacrificing isaac but i think in some sense you could point to the same traits in these verses whereas you mentioned mac that he's so willing and ready to to honor god whenever god is revealed to him um i i think it's a good model for 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 people of faith to recognize those moments in life and this is a good example of um someone that does it pretty regularly and pretty often and fairly fairly well so yeah i think like just to tie that into something that's relatable to like people alive right now like um i have been like very unsuccessfully practicing sabbath <laughs> um unsuccessful as in it's not a consistent practice yet um it's a really really tough action to respect and honor every week um especially for um someone like me who grew up in a culture not only like a familial culture but in a, you know, country or civilized culture where work is valued above everything else. Um, so it's really hard for me to reinterpret my own ideas of like work and what is valuable. Um, and sometimes like rest is valuable or the things that you can, restful things can be valuable. Like reading for me is a very restful thing. Playing music is a very restful thing. But yeah, I think there's so much noise, there's so much distraction, there's so much impediment to us uh, having the capacity to receive what God has to say. And for me, Sabbathing is about eliminating a lot of that distraction and noise. So anyway, Sabbath. to be more like Abram. 
Sabbathing. Yeah. Do you like my Sabbathing. verbalization? Yes. <laughs> would you Sabbath, Sabbath with me, John? Oh, yeah. You would? Sure. Why not? Give it a shot. You think it would be, like, difficult to incorporate in your life as it has been for me? Um, very possibly. It's, I mean, I mean, just considering the, the line of work that I'm going into, it, it it's difficult to, to work in. Side note, I, I do think it's fascinating that um, Israel's, like, flag carrier airline doesn't fly on Saturdays to practice the Sabbath, which I think is fascinating um, from a cultural and religious perspective. Um, and, you know, it, it makes sense, but, you know, I think it's really interesting to see, but, you know. Yeah, anyway. it's just like Chick-fil-A, like not, you know, opening on Sundays or like there's most places in Germany don't open on Sundays. Um, because of this kind of like notion of the Sabbath. Um, and I, I would say there's a lot more holidays like in Germany, certainly, but in Europe in general. Um, there's So in other words, there's a lot more like societal built in room for rest. Whether you use it personally that way or not is another question. <laughs> like I'm definitely going to be working for a lot of these holidays upcoming, but um, you know, it's so I think I think that's also a very interesting phenomenon that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like how much room is like physically built in for that kind of rest. Sounds like this airline yeah. kind of has that idea. Yeah, I mean, it, it's especially interesting to me because, you know, it's not only like kind of like, you know, some stores shutting down on Sunday, it's, you know, in no small way, aviation really is a instrumental financial tool for 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 countries. So to see that you know to see God prioritized over that financial tool, I think is a strong model of of what is really important in in world and in life. You know. Yeah. I agree with that. That actually relates to somewhere in the text that I'd like to bring up, which is um, chapter 14, verse 18, um, like verses 18 through 22. Um, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. So, And then there's this whole like discourse where Abram basically says, like, I have committed that you will not give me a hair on your head so that you can never say that you are the person who made me wealthy. And there's just this really like beautiful testament to wealth and to um, the acquisition of any sort of goods or anything um, in this chapter where Abraham just attests, Abram just attests that everything that he has comes from God. Um, and then, you know, there's a 10th of everything, like, 
you know, that's certainly not an insignificant um, portion of what he owns, and yet he still gives a tenth and his wealth multiplies. Um, I think you and I, John, have been talking a lot about tithing and giving lately. Um, and I was wondering, like, is there any way that I talk about tithing that was new to you or that, like, has changed your perspective on it? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the most fascinating parts of religion for me is to think about, like, what it means for um, for things to come from God and what it, you know, what, like, there's a, you know, the, like, that, like this riddle that, not a riddle, but like, you know, like, you know, a dude's hometown is getting smashed by a hurricane. And a boat comes by and is like, you know, oh, when I come back, you know, come with us. And he's like, no, I'm waiting for God to to save me. And the same thing happens. Like, you know, he runs up onto a roof and a, you know, another boat comes by or a ship and then a helicopter. And then when he gets to heaven, he's like, why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent you a car, a boat and a helicopter. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I think it's you know it, it's I've long been curious about the, the the sense of what does it mean for something to come from God and what does it mean you know about, like how do we discern how to use the resources available to us and mm-hmm. how to prioritize God in the use of those resources. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think to to answer the question, I think one of the big ways that my view has shifted is more directly seeing. You know the the resources and wealth that I have is is not really mine, but just something for me to manage. And there's you know many different ways to go about that, and different ways to to decide how to manage the wealth that you're entrusted to. And there's yeah. plenty of you know I think multiple gospels have stories about how you know that, that, like a master gives three servants wealth and you know one grows by the wealth by 10 times one grows wealth by five times and then one just buries it in the ground and comes back with the same amount and the you know master is like and the one that grew grew by 10 times gets 10 times his land and the guy that grew by five times gets five times his land but the guy that didn't grow at all you know doesn't get anything because he didn't you know entrust you know, he, he didn't manage it well. So I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting way to consider wealth and to, to look at how we are expected to, to handle our wealth and mm-hmm. um, how to how to use it well, how, how to keep ourselves from falling into the trap of just kind of, you know, worshiping money instead of worshiping God, to put it one way. Yeah. The concept of, like, stewardship it has been really big in my understanding of like finance um, and wealth building. And I think like you summarized it really well. Um, and you know, something that I've taken with me from like just various teachings on finance has been like, don't spend beyond your means, give beyond your means. Um, and it doesn't mean like give everything you have and more. I think some people are called to that. And there are some examples of like outrageous giving that are just like that individual has some sort of 
pressure on them, you know, from God to, or just like a call from God to uh, give everything. But, you know, in terms of like everyday, regular, consistent giving, I always say like, you know, there's the 10% of tithe, but like on top of that, um, I'm often called to give more than that. Um, and it's, it's a very like strange phenomenon and I have a lot of trouble articulating it in a way other than like Dave Ramsey, like he talks about like the open hand phenomenon where like the more you give, the more you practice this posture of having your hand open. And it's very difficult to receive something in return if your hand is closed or it's difficult to receive something at all if your hand is closed into a fist, if you're keeping like your money so tight to you that you know, your fist just won't open, you know? So the more you give, like the more open your hand and your body and your life are to receiving as well. And so it's just, it's kind of like this philosophy of opening both streams, right? Like giving feeds into receiving and vice versa. And it's kind of this like endless infinite loop of, of wealth and generosity. Um, so yeah, my philosophy has always been the more you give, the better, <laughs> because I just think that it's it's just the best thing to do with money, in my opinion. Um, and that doesn't yeah. mean that you don't take care of your own house and everything, but I think it's just really important. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say about the last couple verses or about the Sarai Hagar theme? I think this is something we'll definitely have to talk about more next time. Yeah, I, I I think it all yeah yeah it's just kind of something that we can get into um, the next time we report. But I I I rarely know what to make of Sarai and Hagar to you know to see Sarai going from oh like yeah I'll just you know give my slave to my husband to have kids and she goes just like immediately gets jealous the second that she does. Uh, which makes sense, but, you know, like, at the same time, it's like, you know, you gave your slave to him, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's an interesting balance to go from that to then, you know, abusing her slave out of jealousy. So right. it's, it's, there's surely a lot to unpack there and a lot to, to work through. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's something we'll get to next time because yeah. of the also these are like some of the core verses that um margaret atwood uses in the handmaid's tale yeah sorry to cut you Which off i have never, never seen i have it's no idea what the, oh i've never read it either way <laughs> i guess there is this tv show now but originally it was a book i'm yeah. pretty sure there's so like I a sequel or something now Maybe. Yeah, I don't know, but I, yeah, anyway, I digress. All right, well, uh, I love you. Yeah, yeah. I promised you that I would be punctual, and here we are. <laughs> Mittens. Mittens. Sorry, did you have one last thing to say to wrap up? No. Are you sure? Yep, same. Okay. I feel like I really cut you off, I'm sorry. Nah, it's okay. Are you sure? It's okay. Yes, I am. Okay.
I love you a lot, sir. I hope I that you are safe you. today. Yeah, you too. Goodbye, my love. Bye. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.